his wrath flows out of that. Therefore, it carries the, the characteristics of love, and love seeks not its own. So the idea of an offended God reacting in uncontrollable wrath is a pagan notion. It is not biblical. It does not describe the Father of Jesus. <laughs> okay, it's a pagan notion. God's not petty. God is loving. Now, God is a consuming fire. And therefore, a lot of what we read about uh, what God is and who he is and about judgment, about things like this, these are all true revelations in Scripture. But when we inter- interpret them through the, the lens of a pagan, offended, petty, hierarchical, arrogant, egotistical deity, we do not form a picture in our mind of the Father of Jesus. And then that takes us to the idea of time. Same thing about time. Time's not impersonal. It's not a mechanical force. It's not just a a sociological consequence of creation. Hebrews says that God made time through Jesus. Therefore, like everything else that was made, it carries the purposes of his character. And his character is love, spirit, light, fire, and it brings life. So we have every right to think of the time ahead of us as bringing opportunity not bringing threats and deadlines. Okay? All right? Jesus completely reveals God, and that is why I can say that if you have a picture of God uh, that corresponds with a pagan deity, that hasn't been revealed in Jesus. And therefore, we don't have the right to believe that that's who God is. And some would ask, well, aren't there possible unknown aspects of God beyond Jesus? Yes, there are. But there are not inconsistent unknown aspects. He's not going to be revealed in Jesus as A, and then he might be C, unrevealed, but C will not be anti-A. Does that make sense? So there's there's plenty that we can keep learning about God, but it is all going to be consistent with what was revealed in Jesus because he is the exact representation of his nature and the outshining of his glory. And so it's not that we're being naive, it's not that we're putting on rose-colored glasses, not that that would hurt anybody, actually, but it is that Jesus actually, completely, fully reveals, exactly reveals God. And so fearful notions about God uh, being schizophrenic in, in ways that he's not revealed in Jesus just aren't there. Uh, we are complete in Jesus as well. And so... We're not trying to get complete. We're trying to rise up and to grow up into the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ that we already have. The one who gives life, the one who gives identity and creates identity, that's Jesus. That's the Father. And so we already have a design. We already have a purpose. We already have a destiny. And our job is to grow up into it. And he's there to help us if we need it because we're already complete in him. We have access to Jesus, and so we need to use it. Paul, beautiful story. Just, Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want? And then if you had sat down and tried to uh, calculate from scriptural priority what that guy wanted, needed, it it couldn't have come any closer than I need to feel loved. (laughs) I mean, seriously. Uh, Jesus himself is the word of God. We're just being people who choose to reserve that title for him so that we don't look for aspects of that to be fulfilled and then ignore Jesus in the process. Uh, I 
read some, I've been reading a couple of books on uh, theology, surprisingly. And uh, one of the things that I, I always keep in mind about that is you can read about a lot of theology and never have the name of Jesus mentioned. So you've got to be careful to not get caught up in the nuance of the debate or the nuance of the theological point and lose sight of Jesus. Jesus is, he's the word. He's the revelation of the heart and mind of the Father. And then the last one is that we can be uh, have intimate relationship with God as sons right now. So we're going to tackle fear one more time. So fear versus Jesus is example one in our hearts. And so I'm just bringing the heart thing to play. Last time we took those icons and tried to interpret Scripture with them. Now I want to try to interpret this issue of having fear in our hearts. Okay, so the first scripture that I came across was Isaiah 50, uh, 35, 3 and 4, and it makes the case, along with two or three others, that fear is a matter of the heart. How many of you have always thought of fear as a matter of the heart? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of times I think we look for other homes for fear, you know, like our mind or our uh, fight-or-flight system psychologically or all kinds of things. And I'm not saying it doesn't have an effect on it. But the Bible reveals that fear and our hearts are inextricably linked. So when we think about what we learned about our heart, not only that Jesus is living in there currently, but even the fact that God is okay with our heart being able to contain both uh, light and dark, and, and, and he wants to be and knows he is the difference maker, well, all of a sudden this gives us if you think about it properly, this gives us a tremendous advantage over becoming a victim, tremendous resistance to becoming a victim of fear. See what I'm saying? Because if we have fear, and we dress fear up however we want to, in whatever sort of armor, with whatever sort of medieval weaponry, and whatever sort of fangs and claws and scales, however ugly you want to make him, and then you stick him in a small room with Jesus... Who's going to win? We're not talking Jesus hanging on the cross. He did that already, and he that's where he won. We're not talking Jesus walking along with uh, dusty feet and a sandal, holding kids and petting lambs. We're talking the ascended and risen King of kings and Lord of lords, like you see him in Revelation, with fire in his eyes and his robe dipped in blood and the name, the Word of God, on his thigh and a sword coming out of his mouth. That is the one that lives in our hearts. He is the one that lives in our hearts, where fear is also trying to make a home. See how that imagery can help? Okay. Isaiah says in here, Encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble, and say to those with anxious hearts, Take courage, fear not. Again, there's a linkage there. Yes. Hang on, you got to get a mic. It's okay. Otherwise, people won't be able to hear you on Zoom. Something I learned a long time ago was that if it's printed in the Bible, there's a really strong tra- chance that it's true. <laughs> now, what I want to do is go, well, I don't feel like it's true, and especially this thing of fear. I grew up my entire life living in fear because my dad always made decisions for me. I never had to go out and struggle like that. That didn't help me at all because all I did was fear people, fear situations, circumstance, and it literally 
I mean, it could have killed me is Amen. basically the way I felt about it. Amen. But what I had to start doing, and I started doing this in, in my late 30s, is to say, well, if the Word says it, I have to believe. And it hit me that until we believe it, it's never going to be real. Amen. Faith is a belief because we can't see it. That's what Hebrews tells us. So with fear, what I've been able to do, and it's been almost 30 years, is to develop a lifestyle where, hey, if I'm feeling fear, it just means I'm taking risk. That's all it means. And if you come up with some kind of declarative statement, can the devil get to you? Can he? Everybody's thinking about it, right? <laughs> You've got it right. Have you hypnotized? What happens is the devil is the only one that can come sit on your shoulder and say in the first person, I'm really afraid to do this. I don't have any fear. You want me to go witness to somebody? I will. I have preferable ways I would rather do it. But if you need to learn how to get past any fear whatsoever, I can help you with that. Praise God. Praise God. Yeah, even in that illustration, I don't know what I, uh, how I characterize the devil's location, but uh, one thing I do know is it's not in my heart. He doesn't live there. Here's another one that kind of ties it up. Think about this. Think about this. This is in Joshua. Uh, as they're getting ready to go in, uh, they, were, they had reassembled the people after this long wait and uh, this is uh, Caleb speaking. He says, Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I follow the Lord of God fully. So the difference between uh, Caleb and the rest of the people were, was a heart difference. Okay, So if you're experiencing fear, it's in your heart. Now keep in mind that Jesus lives in our heart. Okay, Here's another one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life, whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Okay, Jesus is in our heart. The place where you and I experience fear is the place where Jesus lives. And And, and we are, in fact, I think, as Chris said, we're making a choice. Uh, I think the answer th- that, that he was expecting or looking for is if we will, out of the abundance of our heart, let our mouth speak to the reality of Jesus dwelling in us, then we eliminate the possibility for fear to continue to have a, a foothold. Simply because we have something to work with. We have the reality of Jesus' presence and his ascended authority as the King of kings and Lord of lords against a threat of an undesirable future. Well, he holds time in his hands. All right, here's the last one, I think. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. And so we could take time and study what's the opposite of fear. Well, confidence is one of those opposites. And it, too, comes out of our hearts. It's not just a mental exercise, and it's not the result of having everything lined up. Yeah, Meg? I was in a a car accident that was rear-ended, and every time I would get in the car, I would have this sense of people behind Mm. me. and, And 
you can't drive that way if you're constantly looking in the rearview mirror. Right, right. Well, this was the scripture that the Lord gave me at the time. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Mm -hmm. And so as I opened myself up to the Lord, more and more his love there was no place for that mm -hmm. fear. So mm -hmm. sometimes when we're going to break a habit, it's good to replace that right. bad habit with something good. So I just I would, right. whenever I got in that fear situation, that's, that's what right. I would do. The whole idea of looking back in time all the time, that's one of the things. Fear fear is it, it, it's, it's a thing that causes us to imagine a false and a destructive future. And it causes us to be paralyzed to go into that future, so we, we have to keep looking back. And you were doing it physically, but it's a great, great metaphor for the reality. You know, Fear never causes you to look ahead optimistically. It just doesn't do it. Jesus always causes you to, to, to be in the moment, but to have the expectation of you know, him being a giver of good gifts. Yeah, Jim. Hang on. Get Jen's mic up, Sterling. Don't you think our thoughts have a big bearing on the fear one way or another? I think they follow, yeah. And do I mean in other words, I think what's happening is is the confidence in our heart. Fear tries to wrestle that out of our heart and cause us to, to deal with it up here. I think, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Go ahead and make your point. What do you think? No, I I just know that if if my thought process is a lot of what if terrible speculations, mm -hmm. possibilities, all of that just kind of ignites that in me. Right, right. So it's hard for me to separate our thoughts from the, from the, from the fear. From the fear emotion. The, yeah. thing that, the thing that I was thinking about to, to make it worth at least uh, articulating fear as primarily in the heart, like some of these verses are saying, is that that scripture that says, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks... And I think the same thing is true about the speculations of our our, our head. Um, there's another one, you know, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter ten, where it talks about uh, the vain speculations that are uh -huh. exalted into high places yep. against the knowing of God. Uh, the place, the best place to go to know God is where God lives in our heart. And so, if we could somehow pull those thoughts, and I, I totally agree with you, fear gets a hold of those, and it becomes a tool of it for sure. But I don't think that just disciplining our thoughts is the actual only way to overcome fear. I think that there's that, okay, I've got to remind myself that you live in me, Lord. And, and, and my heart is beating fast at the thought of this. So, But that is a renewing of the mind, just is. what you said right there. It is. You're right. And yeah, they, the, so. in that way, they, they do go together for sure. No question yeah. about it. Absolutely. Yeah, Ronnie? Quick, rem quick reminder of heart versus thoughts. Um, they're very closely related. I'm not sure if this is a reminder, but this is what I learned for studying it for a while. Okay. Very closely related that in the heart are some of the things that are more settled, and in the mind are sort of the playground where we're kind of poking around with things. And if we can draw upon the things that God has settled or work towards the things that we want God to have settled in our heart, then the thoughts can follow suit. You know, that that is an interesting thought about this, too. Because if you don't establish things in your heart, 
then your mind naturally has more power to govern the way the imagery and the imagination and, and stuff. Yeah. No, 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 no. This is this is good. I agree with that. Yeah. And I know those things that I have revelation of in my heart, then then my mind will be submitted to that more. Yeah. So absolutely believe that. Whatever's settled in your heart is is key. Yeah. I just know that I don't think we can dismiss the the thought life. No, no. And you know, even others. as we've been talking about this, as you brought the point up, I'm thinking not only does it say that Christ lives in our hearts by faith, dwells in our hearts by faith. It also says we have the mind of Christ. So that the cultivation of that consciousness of Christ in us, mind and mind and heart, is probably one of the big keys to getting. Or something we can something we can know. Okay. Anything else before we go? Let's go to the next one. So here in Ephesians is that, that's just the answer scripture to be strengthened with the power through His Spirit and inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the whole work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, that's where our witness comes from. That's where power comes through. Or, or what do we say, Paul, when we were looking in the Septuagint back there in, in uh, Jeremiah where it says the heart's desperately wicked, but the, the heart is the man is the way the Septuagint, the, yeah. the Greek Old Testament trend. The heart is the man. Yes. The heart is the man. Yeah. So, right. cool. Okay, so now example number two is linked to this, but it's going to be Jesus in our future. So, for instance, if you've got a future event coming that you are uncertain about or afraid this is the way to deal with that, using our what we've gained in knowledge. So I brought in two of our friends. One, that the wrath of God protects our destiny, and it's for us, revealed against unrighteousness that would lead us away, cause us to dumb down heaven, and time is our ally. So here it is in Hebrews. It's a big one. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. If you remember when we outlined it last time against these things, time captured the area of that all of our lives. And wrath had to do with the whole idea of why we're afraid of death. If, uh, if, you, if you were absolutely assured that if you fell over backwards out of your chair in the next five minutes and you were going to absolutely be in the presence of Jesus, which is what Paul says, to be absent from the body is present with the Lord, and he was going to wrap his arms around you, introduce you to a whole bunch of people you've wanted to see a long time, a bunch of people you loved from the past, and then your favorite biblical character was going to walk up and go, I've been waiting. I know you want to talk to me. Like for me, it'd be Nebuchadnezzar. And he would come up with a big grin on his face, and we'd be able to sit down and talk about a few things. Okay? If you knew that, how afraid of dying would you be? If it was really a settled issue in your heart. Now, death is not natural. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Uh, and, and, and death is just not natural. I understand that. He even took pains and care at the, at the raising of Jairus' daughter to make the environment work and to get the, the, the people who were more committed to mourning the death than overcoming it out of the place or whatever he did. But if we had that kind of deep-seated assurance about the future, I think it would change the way we, we think. Yes, Ray? That's what happened to me. I went into the presence of the Lord that time I got choked on something and I fell backwards. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I went into that realm where I was going into the light. And I felt the presence of God so strong, you know. And you would think, if I have any sin in my life, He wouldn't, He wouldn't love me. But He did. Yeah, of course He did. And He loved me, and He put the presence of. I just felt the presence of God and my my do, uh, my daughter and uh, the her babysitter wanted me to come back. And I said, Why did you bring me back? I was there in the presence of God. 
So, so let me ask you a quick question. Did that experience make you more afraid of dying or less afraid of dying? Less afraid of dying. Amen. There you go. There you go. So I think that's part of it. Okay. I believe that the fear of death is not centered in death itself. It's centered in, a, in an expectation of wrath. And if we can get get it in our hearts and in our minds that wrath comes from the love of the Father, not uh, uh, an indignant... God can get angry, just like you would get angry if a child was making stupid choices. But that anger, that wrath does not equate rejection and condemnation. God is going to judge and is in the process of judging. But that judgment does not equal condemnation. It equals literally, in the meaning of the word, lining things up and setting things right. You and I, Paul says, are going to judge the world. Does that mean we're going to hate it? Does that mean we're going to condemn it? No, of course not. The whole of creation is waiting for your revelation and my revelation as sons of God. See what I'm saying? Okay. Here's a big one. Now, this is yours, Meg. This will change everything about the future. God is love, okay? I don't usually use 16 A's and B's and all that kind of stuff, but I'm, I, we had a conversation about the Promethean board for the Zoom people, and if I put too many words up here, they can't read it. So, bigger font, fewer words. So God is love. That's the basis of this passage of Scripture. God is love. By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Confidence in the day of judgment, not fear judgment. Because, here's why, as he is, so also are we in this world. As he is. So how is as he is? Somebody want to make a comment or two? He's loved by the Father. He's sent by the Father. So no wonder when Paul says, man, I need to get out in the street, and he goes out there, and he submits himself to the simple, humble, natural, relational process of saying, Father, who do you want me to talk to? That he's going to be ending up in a good situation, a situation where the power can flow and life can flow and love can flow. Because as he is in this world, Paul goes because he knows he's loved. He goes because he knows he's sent. He acts like a sent guy when he gets out there. Right, Paul? Go ref, go right. Okay. This is not that complicated. Now, fear will keep us from doing that. But because God is love, perfect fear gives us confidence to that. Okay? Uh, fear perfected. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. And to me, this is one of the biggest revelations about how fear. Because if God lives in your heart, if Jesus has made his place there, if we have his mind, and these things are now working in a sympathetic harmony, there literally is no room for fear to come in there and distort or control or whatever the case is. Because there is no fear in love. And this is one of those things, Chris, that once you read it, uh, like if you're gonna if you're gonna go try to go on a first date, you might might try to argue with that. I think I love her, but I've got that same feeling in here. Okay, but it's 
This is the truth. Richard. Uh, the fear is, I mean, you, you have, you, you know this, and you know it in your heart, but there's that, there's that anxiety that's there. Yeah. The only way you can do it is face it. Yeah. I mean, you just do it. Yeah. And then tr- test it out and see that, wow, I, I, yeah. I, I was fi- found, I had this foundation of something that wasn't even there. Yeah. And uh, once that's removed, um, then it becomes easier. But I have found that after a while, well, he did it last time. I don't know. Will he do it again? And, yeah. And so it, you do it again. And he goes, wow, he's still there. And it, so our minds just play havoc with us sometimes with, with uh, anxiety and fear of, of some doing something. Yeah. When we just, if we just face it, and trust God if he said to do this, or if you feel like he's leading you to do this. It, I mean, especially with, well, what will people think? Usually they don't think, think anything. Yeah, they don't. They don't. <laughs> so, They're in their own world, and you're, you're just going, now, don't you think, though, Richard, that uh, that there is a legitimacy? I mean, I wish we could all just read the Bible in a vacuum, totally align our thoughts and heart with it, and step out into the world and never have it out. But I, it doesn't work that way, I don't think. It's a process. Matter of fact, there's a word right there, love is perfected. That's a process. And we'll look at it in just a second. But don't you think that when you, when you have one or two of those under your belt where, and, and, and this is why I think the imagery is important. Okay, you were in me and I, wa- I was in you and this worked out. Once you do that a couple of times, it's way easier. I'm not saying you can't ever have another anxiety, but I'm saying you have, you have evidence on every level that God is with you. Uh, yeah, exactly. Hang on, Chris. Chris hang on, hang on. Uh, one one example Mike, is um, <laughs> one example is when I was asked to uh, do a um, uh, dream interpretation, uh-huh. and I had never done dream interpretation before. But I was asked, and I said, "Sure, I'll do it." And so, leading up to it, this was like several months away. I'm going, "Okay, God, this is you know, I've never done this. You're going to have to come through on this." And so then there was some anxiety started setting in. I mean, you've got this whole time, length of time to prepare for this thing. I mean, what do you prepare for? I yeah, mean, yeah. Just, and so, uh, God, you, you know, you got to do something here. And, and so there was this, there was this, uh, battle going on within me, knowing what he's already done in me, knowing what he's ever done speaking in the prophetic realm. How do I get over this hump? Um, the, the day before, or a couple of days before this event was to take place, I had this dream. I don't remember it specifically, but it dispelled that. And I said, okay, God, I'm taking that dream because this is what I feel. And I went there. I mean, the first one, first dream that came to me, I just spouted right off. I mean, it just came and just flowed right out. And I, I said, and it just became so easy. Uh, and, and he taught me a, a big lesson. And one of the big things is he teaches you the lessons through these things. Of of it's like, see, Richard, I told you I would be with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you 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 in your in your heart you know, but your mind is just going berserk. And sometimes. I think it's not only that he teaches us stuff that we get in the habit; it's an identity question too. Uh, so before you did it, someone could have said, "Oh, are you a guy that interprets dreams?" And you would have said, "I don't know." But once you know, and you know you're doing it with God, that's a whole different ball. Okay, so what were you going to... All I was going to try to say is that if we do not spend time with the Lord, do not spend time in the Word, whose voice are we going to hear? Whoever's on television, the radio, sure. 
friends, how much of the Lord do they know? Very little. And so we're going to get affirmation that, well, it works for some people some of the time, or Mm -hmm. maybe for that person over there, not for you. And that's not what God says. What God says, forget about how you feel about it, and you just put your faith and your trust in me, and I will take care of it. Amen. Amen? Amen. Okay, so, yes, Tim. This, uh, there's no fear in love. Is that absolute? In other words, if you have a large bear charging you and he's 10 feet away, growling with his jaws open, the natural reflex is fight or flight, yeah. and you have fear. But if you know God loves you so much, do you know he's going to protect you from that? Or so you don't I, have fear? Uh, no. I, <laughs> okay, now, I don't know. Here's what, here's what I thought you were going to say, and here was my clever answer back. If you could absolutely manifest the fully revealed Son of God love for that bear, he might just run up and give you a big hug. I really don't know. See, this is the thing. I don't want to over-spiritualize this. This is a good point. I don't want to over-spiritualize this. What I'm saying is, though, that fear doesn't have the ability to define who you are. And therefore... Um, Yeah. Okay. So let me show you. Richard, go ahead. Just real quick. Yeah. Um, there was something that was said. If you spend time, <laughs> if you spend time with the Lord, a lot of times people take that going, well, I didn't pray this morning. Yeah. 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 We're not right talking about God's a word quid pro quo. We're talking so about a lifestyle of fellowship. Right. Exactly. A go. lifestyle of fellowship. All right. I want to examine this just a couple other things in here, though. So look at this. These two words right here. We talked a little bit about as he is, so are we, but I have wrestled with this translation, and I've gone back and looked at a lot of them. It's interesting. Okay, so the point is God is love, right? God is love. That's not up for debate. That's him revealing to us what his nature is. So God is love. And by this, in verse 17, it says something, and let's slow down and read it. Love is perfected with us. Not in us with us. This is a relational construct. The nature of this, this, these two words in the Greek. It's a relational construct. And I go, huh. Because I read it my whole life that love is perfected in us, even though I didn't say it on the page. It's perfected with us because it's not an it. Love, he is, now this is neuter. It, no, it's feminine. It's, this is feminine in the Greek. But love is perfected with us. And that's what I think you're experiencing. That's why, you know, this idea, not a quid pro quo of doing my duty and then getting rewarded for my duty, but coming to God and being rewarded because not of what I've done, but because of who He is, and then getting out there, finding out, you're in me and with me in this process. And so if I were to ask the same question of Richard with a different person as the object of the question, before Richard ever interpreted a dream, if I ask you, can Jesus interpret dreams? You would say, of course he can. Of course he can. You could even cite instances where he helped uh, people do it and all that kind of stuff. So there's something important about this with, and I think this with goes back to the idea that Jesus lives in our heart. And the way we get stuff from heaven to earth is through Jesus. Agreed? Yes. And Jesus lives in our heart. Mm-hmm. 
Chris. I want to take about 20 seconds. And I know we sit in church. Wait till I'm finished. Oh, my God. I know we sit in church, we hear the truth of the Word of God or something close to it, and what do we do with it? Probably nothing. And it doesn't have a chance to become real. So what I want to ask you to think about, and this is really challenging, is what is love? Who is love? And what does love allow us to do? That's a good question. It's a good question. Just blurt out your answers when you get an answer. No, you can't do that. Who you is come love? to the mic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who is love? And what does it allow us to do? All right. Keep that question in mind. We're going to move forward a little bit. But do you see this idea of with? With is that he's with us. This is that he's not trying to judge us based on our performance. He's trying to come against the fear and things in our life that keep us from stepping into the destiny and partnership with him. And time is on our side. So if you fail in five minutes, you'll have another chance in ten. Okay? Does it make sense? Okay. Now, this is a relationship and a fellowship word. I never thought about it that way. Now this phrase, perfect love cast out fear. i got to confess to you that before this study, I always thought that fear and love were kind of abstracts. That's why I was trying to attach imagery to it, like the, the, the dragon with armor versus Jesus with eyes of fire. But I got closer to the truth there, and all of a sudden then I began to realize, is this, is this one chemical emotional reaction against another? The feeling of love against the feeling of fear? It, 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 it has it. You're right. There's involuntary aspects to fear, like the fight and flight thing when the bear's running at you. But the kind of settled fear that paralyzes a person or whatever is not. No, this is a false trust, fear, being coming up against the authority and the purpose and the love and the power of a person named Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So all of a sudden, this thing isn't an emotional displacement anymore to me. It's a violent casting out, a violent overthrow, a violent deliverance. And, and so I think that we can have the expectation of being violently, authoritatively delivered from fear by the person who, who has authority over everything. So that means that if that, if the author of that fear or the suggester of that fear is, is a principality or a power like the devil, or is a world force like the economy, or is a personified sickness like cancer, we have the right to have an expectation to compare the casting out authority of the person of Jesus against an entrenched emotion bondage slavery thing. Okay, what do you think? Well, I want to know, so perfect love, would you replace that with Jesus? I, would, I, would, uh, I wouldn't call it perfect love. I would say I would replace 
love with Jesus. I'm talking about verse 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love oh. casts out fear. So yeah. are you saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When when he when he is, you know, the the thing in Ephesians four where it says that apostles, prophets, and pastors and teachers are all given to we can grow up to the fullness and measure of stature of Jesus, not blown about by every wind of doctrine, all that stuff. I think Jesus is more than we can manifest at any one given point in time, even living in our hearts. But I think as we grow and as we grow and as we we trust. And as we, we believe and as we give capacity for his expression, then, then that's it. So yes, I don't think that it's an emotional love perfected. I, and, and, and there is, there is a reality to the other kind. Because, you know, this also says in another place in the same set of scriptures, we love because he first loved us. So we do have the capacity to love as a thing in and of ourselves. So not every bit of love is, in fact, the person of Jesus only loving through us, and we're just a passive piece of pipe. But so maybe our love perfected? I don't know. I don't know how to pull it from the language. But I do know this, that there's something here of this partnership of with us and love. And as it is perfected, as that partnership is perfected in conscious awareness and in faith, Jesus living in our hearts creates all these sorts of things. What are you thinking? No, I I just, since you were making it relational and we're looking at God as love, yeah. and then when I just read that, I was wondering, it, would, can, would it even be right to it could kind be. of replace yeah. perfect love with Jesus cast out? Well, and again, we love because he first loved us. He is love. We're being transformed into being love. And so this idea of perfect, you know, perfect always means uh, fit for or complete. So the love that we have is being completed by him somehow. Yeah, Ronnie? Even more than reflected, Ray. It does reflect, but it also emanates from us. Yeah, there's, there's something being built in us as a capacity for love. Yes, Ronnie? Many of you know that I spend a season trying to work on my heart like a year ago. I think it was a year ago. It's a little over a year ago, yeah. Maybe that. Um, what I've found is, for me, I can't say that it's for everyone, but I believe it is, is that when the knowledge or the experiential knowledge of God's love in my heart was there, fear had much less of a stronghold to even stick around, whereas before it was constant. And so, for me, bringing in God into my heart, and I'm actually was out there acknowledging or understanding, and believing and trusting and knowing that He's there, changed my perspective on how fear could affect me. And it's not like I planned one and then the other happened; it just did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, yeah. And that's, that's a good point too, because I don't, I don't want there to be the religious pressure to think that if I get this knowledge, all of a sudden there won't be anything like that. We still have the right to think in terms of, of fearful ways. We, we have the ability. We, our heart still has the right to react, you know, talking about the bear charger or whatever. Uh, but I do think that, that there is a conspiracy against fear. There is a partnership against fear controlling our life. And that partnership consists of our faith and will, and consciousness, and Jesus' person and presence. Yeah, Jim. 
may be tangential to it, and I'm not sure I can articulate it very well, but love is not an emotion because God says love your neighbor. It's a command. I can't command you to love me. Love provokes emotion. It has to be a decision. It has to be a decision. Is fear the same thing? Because the angels came and said, fear not, as though it were a choice to fear or not fear. Hmm. Now, hang on, Ray. We got one up here, right? Um, that's a good question. I don't know the answer. I do know this. I I I know that that fear is more than an emotion. You know what I mean? Fear provokes emotion, or or there's an emotional component to fear, just like there's an emotional component to love. It's like state of being, state of being yeah, being. state of perception. There's 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 something I don't like about a certain kind of teaching about completely divorcing uh, love from an emotion, because then all of a sudden people can say stupid things like I, I love you but I don't like you, and I'm not saying that's not possible. I'm just saying I think it's dumb. I, th- I think it, it it's trying to divide up your loyalties to obedience. Anyway. Yeah, but but love has a component in it. Um, Vicky, you want to shed some light here? Um, yeah, uh, you know, like we were talking about the bear charging type of type of fear. Um, years ago, we were going to California, and I lost my brakes literally from Shasta Mountain all the way into um, Salem, Oregon. Once I realized that, I was afraid <laughs> because my baby was in the car with me. And um, and I just immediately, not immediately, but I went, okay, what do I do? And, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then. I couldn't let Larry know what was going on. He turns off to go get gas, and I'm on the freeway by myself. She missed, missed all my the way into um, Salem, Oregon. She drove all the way through Oregon with no brakes. And um, so what I did is is I told Laurel, I said, Laurel, we need to ask angels to help us stop the car and slow down and be able to... To, to get where we need to go without, because I don't have any brakes. And she was two years old and, okay. and I, and she was like, okay. And every time a car would come in front of me and I needed to slow down, I would hit my brakes as if everything was normal and my car would slow down. And so when we got to Salem, I told Larry, I said, you know, I don't have any brakes in my car. So he, and he was like, oh, okay. And I'm thinking, dude, I don't have any okay, brakes so in my car. So let me tell the story from the guy's perspective. You know? I so came Vi- from Shasta all on, the way down yeah, so, to Salem. So Vicky's Salem. car sitting in the driveway. You know? And she tells me, uh, I don't have, be careful when you move my car. I don't have any brakes I don't in my have car. Any oh, brakes. Okay. I thought, okay, yeah, no brakes. It means a little <laughs> soft or something. You know, she's a woman. She doesn't know anything. Yeah. About this I don't know anything. <laughs> anyway, I get out. I start the car. I put it in reverse. <laughs> I back out real slow out the driveway. I push on the brakes. I mean, there's like no brakes. Pedal goes all the way to the floor. Car backs up on the curb, runs into a tree. <laughs> Literally. Anyway, she had no brakes. So all I'm saying in saying that is that we can be in fearful situations, but the moment we invite the Lord to come into it, I think he's He's totally and completely able to do that. Even if we run into a bear when we're out on a walk in the forest, that initial, oh my God, it's a bear. If we would just pause in that moment and say, you know what, Jesus, you're with me. What do I do? You know, make me look bigger, make me look stronger, make me... Run faster, whatever it is. But it is with us. You know what I mean? It's a concept of being with us. And so, you know, I think that there is a fight or flight adrenaline thing that we do have to say is a part of this. But it doesn't have to rule us. Right. It doesn't have to rule us. Okay, and so here's, we're going to have to shut down here. Just a second, Tim. I've got time for the question. I just want to kind of wrap up and show we're done. What I wanted to do. But we've already done it a little bit, and and Chris kind of asked a question that you can ponder. I wanted to take a, a minute and write out 
areas of fear in our life that we were then later willing to renounce. Simply to, to just say, in Jesus' name, I declare, I renounce this fear, I denounce the anticipation of it, and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to have time today, because I'm going to have to shut her down. So I am going to take some time next week to, to wrap up fear. Okay? I'm going to take some time. Tim. Yeah, I was just thinking of the, I was just thinking of the uh, Scripture, God has not given us a spirit of fear, mm-hmm. but power, love, and a sound mind. And when I was listening to everybody, uh, especially something that the Kramer said, and and that was, okay, what about the thought process? You know, how do we overcome? And I was thinking about the practicalities of that. You know, action overcomes fear. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the things we were fearful about, when we do them, we're no longer fearful. So I was just thinking that it looks like that we have to uh, confirm ourselves at the, with the positivities in our life. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that did work out even when we were fearful to remember those. Yeah. And then the other thing that helped me a lot was, you know, that John fourteen twenty. Yeah. I'm in my Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. Yeah. You know, and I know that Jesus is not fearful. So even where I might be, nor does Jesus have reason to be fearful. He has the authority, he has the resources, he has the wisdom. And this, so this is the last point. What I don't want us to walk away from today anymore is a reliance on a formula as if there weren't people involved. Alright? At some point, if your marriage is in trouble, you can get all the counseling and formulas you want, but you've got to actually get the two people together and begin to pull good stuff from one another again, trust one another again, and do that kind of thing. Ultimately, this idea of Jesus living in us has to become a real enough prospect that we don't rely on a formula, and we don't rely on a verse, and we don't rely on a confession. We rely on the essence of that relationship and the value of it. Does that make sense? And we're we're getting close to that. Now, our words matter. Our confessions matter. Obviously, the revelation of truth in Scripture matters. But I loved what you said. All of those things we can draw on, but it's kind of like Jesus saying to the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures, or you think back about your religious doctrine, or you think back about your experiences. He could have added all those things too, thinking that they will give you what you want, eternal life. But they do testify of me, and that's where the second and third time you can start to build some confidence. And eventually... That confidence becomes knowledge, and you don't require the same level of faith for the same thing. But it's not because of just the experience. It's because Jesus has done it with us, and you closed it with 1420. I'll look at that. I want to look deeper. I was going to, anyway, about God not giving us a spirit of fear. So I'll use that as a jumping-off point to get to this next week, and we'll talk about it. Make sense? So for now, um, can we just say, I don't need to be afraid? Because Jesus lives with me. And in my heart. Amen. Hallelujah.